Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Shannon Jacquard. She is the CEO and co-founder of Ballast Health. Ballast Health is creating stability in turbulence by providing peer and family coaching. She recently stepped down as the CEO of National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, in San Diego after eight years, an organization dedicated to the lives of individuals affected by mental illness and their family members. Shannon serves on several board of directors, including RI International and the Meeting Place Clubhouse in San Diego County. She has received numerous awards, such as the Channel 10 News Leadership Award and the Rana and Purdy End Discrimination Award. She was named one of San Diego's 50 People to Watch by San Diego Magazine. In 2002, Shannon founded Compeer San Diego, a nonprofit organization to provide friendship and support individuals with mental illness. As we tackle this issue of mental illness and mental wellness as well. Uh, I think more and more providers and payers and, and really the industry as a whole are starting to really see the importance of, of uh, taking care of both and not just one. And so I'm excited to, to hear Shannon's insights today and I uh, want to give you a warm welcome, Shannon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, did uh, I miss anything in the intro you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, actually, I have one kind of exciting announcement. Yeah. Um, my book that is on siblings and mental illness will be available on Tuesday, April 9th. I'm awesome. Very to have that launched. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So what we'll do, folks, is um, when this podcast goes live, we'll be sure to provide a link to this book so that you could check it out. And we'll definitely be asking some questions to Shannon about what it's about and, and what major pearls could be gained from it. So appreciate that, that insight, Shannon. What is it that got you into healthcare? Well, uh, over my years in the field, I have found that many people enter healthcare, mental healthcare, uh, due to either personal issues by themselves, their their own illnesses or because of a loved one. So as kind of like my book alluded to being a sibling, my brother was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And when he received his diagnosis, my life changed course. So beforehand, I was a marketing director at a software firm, which did give me the tools that I needed to run a company. But that was no longer where my passion stood. And his diagnosis changed the trajectory of my career into mental health care. Well, it's uh, it's definitely something life changing for sure, and um, mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason, right? I mean, the 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 work you were doing at the software firm, how it parlayed into the work you're doing now. I think it's interesting, and and so now that you've been working in the mental health space, what's your perspective on what needs to be on health leaders' agenda, and how are you pursuing that? So, so no matter if you're in a physical healthcare field or a mental health care field, mental health needs to be at the top of everyone's list. We're kind of in a crisis situation in this country. We know now that our you know, former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has stated that we are in a basically loneliness epidemic, which is causing more deaths than a heart disease, cancer, diabetes over. 
And in fact, we are at a 30-year suicide rate high in this country as well. So mental health care, not just for the patient perspective of somebody who's walking in your doors or into your firm, but from your employee perspective as well. You have to have both hats on because every person who has a mental health issue also has a family. And that family is in as much crisis as the individual who has the illness as well. So to support both really creates a healthier environment and then ultimately actually helps productivity, which then serves more people. You know, it's a, um, it's a ripple effect. Yeah, I think it's a good call out, Shannon. And on the suicide rate point, I mean, just the other day, I had a friend reach out to me and let me know that they're doing some counseling at his daughter's school because one of the teachers just committed suicide. And and even even when you take a look at families, then you take a look at uh, schools and, and and the impact that that people have on on their communities. This this also becomes a societal thing that that needs to be addressed. So I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. about the work you're doing. Um, maybe you could share an example of of how you guys are are making a difference in this space. So one thing that we have found to be the most successful way in supporting others is by being vulnerable yourself. Uh, I think healthcare has done a disservice, both from the provider's perspective and the patient family's perspective, is that our provider community has basically been taught not to share and not to be vulnerable in their experiences. And we need that paradigm to shift because the more that the story is shared and the more that there's this commonality, the more you feel like you can trust the system. And by trusting, trust is everything when it comes to any type of healthcare. So when you have trust in your provider, you have trust in your medicine, in your community, in your support system, you're more likely to also take part in it, which then hopefully should lead to better healthcare outcomes. So what we have found is just the act of being vulnerable, sharing your story, you know, we're, it sounds so simple and it is so simple and it's just not being done. It's done in these one-to-one situations very loosely, but it needs to be done systematically as well. So how, how is that possible? You know, I mean, because I definitely am wondering, right? Some folks listening, they're like, well, okay, I've got 10 minutes with a patient. How do I do that? You know, as, as a provider. Yeah. How do I do that? Well, you know, if you're if you're a provider, you're doing a lot of listening to stories because they're sharing. Mm-hmm. They're sharing what they're feeling, why they're feeling it, and you have to throw in some kind of questions that are personal, and then you you mirror it back. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, I've had this situation that's kind of it takes one or two sentences that really create that sense of community. It's not a it's not that you have to go into your whole family's backstory. Yeah, But there's going to be a point that your patient's going to say something or you're going to ask a question in a way that you can mirror it back. And that right there creates a sense of trust and community. I like that. You know, I like that you kept it so simple. And um, if you have the moment to really reflect it back, it's possible to create that trust and vulnerability without that whole backdrop. I think that's key. So something to think about on the individual level, and then as we take a look at medical directors and, and even system CEOs thinking through, how can we better improve the effectiveness of our programs? And, uh, and so maybe that's, that's the thing that we do is, is, is take a note from Shannon and say, how can we, within 
as quick of a time as, as possible, given the shortage of time that we have with patients today, <laughs> create trust and vulnerability. Uh, this is that, something definitely that I think we all need to be thinking about more. And I think it'll lead to uh, more satisfaction, right, uh, Shannon, for mm-hmm. even the provider? Oh, definitely. Yes. Because there's a lot of providers that are super burned out today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not creating a healthy environment. Yeah. Interesting. So, so as you've worked in this space for, for a long time now, close to 10 years, maybe you could weave in some of the content from your book, an idea or two, and talk to us about some of the common mistakes that happen when addressing mental illnesses. So when addressing mental illness, one of the, uh, some of the mistakes that I find that are still out there is the lack of understanding that stigma alone is deadly. Stigma is one of those words that we kind of fluff off and say it's not that big of a deal or we know about it, but we're not going to concern ourselves with it. But stigma itself has led to a lot of issues. In fact, I had a a patient once come up to me and say, Shannon, it is more dignified to take your own life than to admit you have a mental illness. And that people really listen to those words. That should be astounding that someone would think that way, that it should never ever be the answer for taking one's own life before seeking help for a mental illness. So when it comes to mistakes within mental health is that we have to, one, not assume things. You know, the patient saying X, Y, and Z, just don't assume you know everything. Uh, listen, active listening, that mirroring is really important. And then bringing in the family. You know, this is something that goes actually really to insurance companies that we need to work on is that they provide reimbursables for family support when it comes to the, the son or daughter that has the mental illness. And it's something that I'm working with through Ballast as well, just not there yet. But if you do more work with the families, because you see your patient, like you just said, for what, 10 minutes at that, and, and then they leave. And even our therapists, if they're working with therapists, it's still a very short period of time compared to the amount of time they're living at home. Mm-hmm. So we need to create the best healthy environment at home which really boils down to education as well, uh, since there's just so little education around mental illness, especially in your growing up years. There's not that much about it. So I would just say that the biggest thing is, is understanding the impact of stigma, truly understanding mm-hmm. that it is deadly, and then really listening to the patient's story as much as possible. I know that you have a short time period, but they need to earn that trust. It has to go. You know, most people with mental illness enter this field via the back of a cop car. So already their trust is pretty much negligible. So you are actually in charge of rebuilding it back up so that they want to be involved in the mental health community. So there's a, it is a lot. It's a lot of work for providers um, to do. Yeah, it really is. Work. It really is. But you bring up some really great points. And, and I think uh, the stigma you know, if you're not suffering with it, and folks, by the way, we've we've talked about this in previous episodes. You know, we're talking about one out of every four people in the U.S. has a mental illness. That's 25%. That's a big number of people. And the stigma associated with it, you know, I think it's good to, to keep in mind, right? I mean, gosh, I mean, frankly, when you mentioned that, Shannon, I was like, yeah, you know what? Wow, this is definitely a problem. And how can we be more sensitive toward that and speak to it more openly so that people don't stigmatize it as much and see that actually more people than you believe are actually going through these things. Yeah. And for every person who has it, they have a family who's right there with them. 
so it that that number just keeps growing to the number of individuals that are impacted by mental illness. And then you take that further to the community, the number of police officers that are impacted, the number of ERs. You know, so that it's everyone in some ways touched by mental health issues. So if we if we really go back to that, that mirroring the story sharing, then you'll see that it's really this wave of individuals that's a commonality actually yeah. amongst all of us. Yeah, you know, and, and the other thing like that comes to mind as far as stigmas is, 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 is like the opioid crisis, you know, and, and, and uh, I was at I was at TedMed last year and I got a chance yeah. to yeah sit down with the... Uh, I was there too. Oh, awesome. That's So, okay, you remember the Surgeon General? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was amazing that he talked about his brother. And folks, mm-hmm. and Shannon, you know, maybe you could tell the story, but he shared a very personal story and I think was impactful. You want to tell them? <laughs> uh, I can't remember the whole thing No right problem. Now. I could I could dive into it too. That's fine. Yeah. So going to the opioid epidemic, the Surgeon General got up there and said, this is more normal than you think. My brother is in jail and my brother abused heroin. And he talked about how he took his kids to visit his brother because guess what? He's not ashamed. And it's something that needs to be more normalized so that people can learn and understand that this happens to a lot of people and that you're not alone. And, and the fact that he got up there and talked about this very personal thing was amazing to me. And I think the same thing can happen for mental health. What are your thoughts? Oh, definitely. Unfortunately, people find it a little bit easier to talk about drug and alcohol abuse openly. Like Patrick Kennedy is a big example of somebody who's been very open about his past. And people are pretty open about talking about suicide and suicide attempts, but they shut down when it comes to mental illness. And they will somewhat talk about anxiety and depression a little bit, but there's very hard to talk about bipolar, schizophrenia, major depression, major anxiety sort of issues. So there's this this pocket that affects both, you know, really the opioid crisis and uh, suicide and suicide ideation. And yet we don't talk about it nearly as much. And it affects much more people yeah. than both of those actually combined. So that's very frustrating to me is that this, it's like treating treating just the symptom, but not the cause. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about kind of these symptom issues, high use of drugs, suicide rate, but not the underlying cause of either of those. Yeah. And, and there's different stigmas. So like I had one of my staff say he has drug-induced psychosis. So his diagnosis was schizophrenia, but it has a way higher stigma than drug usage. So mm. he would just say, I have drug-induced psychosis to make it less mm. stigmatizing, which yeah. truly, I don't care what you call it, as long as you've, you're living the life that you want and you're getting the help that, that you need to live that life. But that really shows the stigma. No, in a big way, in a really big way. And I think, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation, Shannon, because the, you know, for everybody listening, sure, you could think of somebody in your life. I mean, I could think of a few people in my life, right, that have struggled. And frankly, until this point, I haven't really even thought about the stigma to the extent that, that you've, you've, you've discussed it, you know, and so something to think about and really like the call to action. I mean, what, what's the call to action here to people as it relates my call to, this? to action, My biggest call to action would be if you yourself have an illness or have a family member with one, start being more vulnerable with mm-hmm. it. 
talk about it to more people because I guarantee that the person sitting next to you, I mean, if you're in a room in a meeting today, you are sitting next to somebody who has a mental illness. You just are. And so the more you talk about it, the more it helps them. It helps everybody else around you because it'll lower the stigma of it. I mean, I used to tell people that I ran NAMI and they would take a step away from me, like literally a step back. It's interesting because if you actually look at, they did this research study that compared stigma from the 1950s to today. And the only thing that got better was that people today say, you know, mental illness is a real disorder and not a sign of personal weakness, Mm -hmm. which they thought in the 1950s. However, if they ask you today, if your, your child could marry somebody with a mental illness, if your neighbor could have a mental illness, if your coworker could have a mental illness, which quite frankly, all three of these things are happening. All those values actually went down from the 1950s study. So what that really says is, I believe you have a true disorder that you, you're not making it up, that it's not a sign of personal weakness, so it's not your fault, but you must maintain a hundred foot radius for me at all times. That, that's how bad things are today. Yeah. So a lot of times people will say to me, Shannon, oh, things are getting better. And it's like, no, actually, they're not. The way I see them getting better is a little bit through social media because I do mm-hmm. see more and more people talking about it there. And so you have people like Lady Gaga, you have the Prince William or Prince Charles, <laughs> you have them talking about it more now, which is great as well. So I need that. But you yourself can even just be a little bit more vulnerable to the person sitting next to you. And I guarantee that'll spike the conversation. It'll help just that little bit. Great call to action, Shannon, and super easy. That's something that all of us could do. So take note of that and follow through, folks. Is just it happens as a collective, and uh, and this is a great opportunity. Tell us about one of your proudest moments, Shannon. So this is kind of a hard one because there's little ones to big ones. I think some of some of the ones that I've really enjoyed over the years were just the little kind of notes that I've gotten from people that we've served that have said, that have come up to me and said, you know, you, you've saved our family. And there's nothing that can really top that, knowing that you've yeah. really helped this family that was struggling to stay together, to get to a better place. Some of the other moments is just when, when I took over NAMI, we, we quadrupled in size. So, you know, we were impacting a lot more people than we were before, which is great. We expanded to another county as well. So those are also real proud moments. And then I was able to really become the leader in hiring people with a mental illness because a lot of people thought, oh, they can't work. There's, you know, stigma around that. And I, 75% of my staff uh, had a serious mental illness. Hmm. And we're doing amazing work and supporting other people with mental illness with really big impacts. So to be a leader in that and to show that other people need to also walk the talk when it comes to mental health was great. Love that. Congratulations on uh, doing that and just kind of leading by action, not just by what you're saying within your own organization. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you have to show it, show that it can happen and then, and then preach about it. Love that. And so what would you say today is, is an exciting project you're working on? The book was the biggest one because Val's kind of had to be put on the side while <laughs> yeah. I got the book out and done. So right now with Ballas, what we're doing, it's hard. California is actually one of the hardest states to really work this in. But some of the tools that I had learned at NAMI, I felt 
really could be done in a more expansive way. So what we are creating is this platform where both peers, so people with mental illness, will be coaches to other people with mental illness as well as family members, and they'll both get paid. So, you know, one of the highest rates of return. So if you, if you look at the, the ability to recover from a mental illness, employment is at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to or they can work 40 hours a week. So by, but they have this amazing wealth of experience. And when I go back to trust, they are that conduit for that trust building activity between the patient and their medical provider as well. So, you know, like we've talked about, the the psychiatrist or the medical provider has a short window of time and they have not been taught this, the mirroring necessarily or working with that and that. But the peer coach can really help facilitate that bond of trust as well. So not only will it help the patient side, but it will also really help the individuals that are working who also have mental illness. So I'm really excited about it. Um, we're still working on the platform development, some UI interfacing, and then there's a few other states that are just better suited to start us than California at this point. Fascinating idea. And uh, as far as the book, where are the listeners going to be able to pick it up? Uh, so it'll be available on Amazon the easiest place. Awesome. <laughs> Everything and, and goes through Amazon. Doesn't it nowadays? And what's the what's the title of it? It's called The Forgotten Survivors. The so Forgotten uh, Survivors. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time there. Obviously, folks, if you want to learn more about this topic, Shannon's got the breadth and the depth of knowledge and experience. So definitely pick that one up. Go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Shannon Jacquard, that's J-A-C-C-A-R-D, and uh, you'll see the show notes for this podcast pop up as well as a link to her book. Getting close to the end here, Shannon, we're going to do the lightning round. Are you ready? Okay. All right. What's the best way to improve mental health outcomes? I think we've kind of already discussed that a little bit, so I'm just going to go back to the whole listening, mirroring, sharing stories. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Uh, when you're starting new programs or services, be sure to test your waters first. So I always took a small amount of money that was coming from one program to showcase it in another way or another system before I expended more resources into it first. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You have to continuously be testing the waters for new programs. So why one is up and running, uh, get another one started and make sure you're listening to the needs of the community that you're providing because their needs are shifting, not just the everything else around you. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your work? The customer need, whatever the patient family needs is what's driving me. Love it. And these next two are, are more on a personal note. What is your number one health habit? Hmm. My number one health habit. So I follow a fairly plant-based diet, hmm. which has helped nice. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Because talk awesome. about burnout. If you go back to burnout issues, you're going to have digestion issues and yeah. gut health issues. So more plant-based is easier on the stomach. Love it. And what is your number one success habit? You have to be willing to talk. So if you start, if you go to Toastmasters, I had a friend who told me every time I went to a vet, so I go to a lot of events, but Mm -hmm. I'm very much an introvert Mm -hmm. as well. A lot of leaders tend to be introverts. So he told me I had to meet three new people before I could sit down again. You have to be willing to expose yourself and get out there 
and then set a goal. So that way, if you're an introvert like me, you know, once you hit that goal, you can feel like you're done. I like that. It's like a little game, right? You, you meet three new people mm-hmm. before you sit down. Yep. Sometimes I just yeah. sit down. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, that now you one. know. You I, I like that one. Meet. That would have helped me at TED, man. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> meet the, I don't think I followed that rule. that's a good one i love it shannon great tip there for the listeners aside from the book that you've written what book would you recommend to the listeners so i think the title is how to talk like ted Hmm. Uh, i'm pretty sure that's it and it is an excellent book so if you're a leader in any field or in healthcare field though you have to be able to talk and talk in a variety of different ways to a variety of different people. You have to be able to read them, especially with mental health. So if they start shutting down, you have to use a different tactic. You know, you can't be forceful in certain situations. So I found the How to Talk Like TED was really good at giving advice in not just doing a TED talk, but those small interactions with other people that you need to be a part of your, your organization. Great recommendation. Again, folks, go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Shannon Jacquard, and you'll find the link to that book as well as hers and all the show notes. Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought, Shannon, and then the best place for the listeners to get in touch with you or learn more about your work. Yeah, so since this podcast is, is for leaders in healthcare field, I just wanted to share one thing that I learned in my MBA program. I had this professor who was the only one who wasn't a PhD. He was an MBA, but he had run multiple companies and he was a CEO of many companies. And he said to us to surround yourself by people who know what you do not. And I have listened to that to a T. So I've started three companies now in each one of them. I've made sure that I've had people who know what I don't know around me uh, to help build a more successful company. It's a great piece of advice. And I think as you consider some of the work being done in healthcare, a lot of it is physical care. And so the call out there would be surround yourself with people that know mental health. And uh, it's amazing what we'll be able to do together for patients. What's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you or, or follow you? So the best way is everything is my name. So my website mm-hmm. is Shannon Jacquard. That's J-A-C-C-A-R-D dot com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And they're also just, and LinkedIn actually, they're also at Shannon Jacquard. So everything is really simple. And my email is Shannon at Shannon com. Awesome. That's easy to remember. Yes. If you know my name, you can find me. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Shannon Jacquard. Again, folks, it's J-A-C-C-A-R-D. And you'll be able to find that on the show notes as well. Shannon, this has been a pleasure. Really appreciate you shining the light on, on mental health. The call to action, folks, is very simple. Listen, mirror, and share. And start now, maybe after you press stop on this podcast. You go do that with somebody that you're going to go see. But uh, big thanks for your time, Shannon, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.